Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back into another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the National Football League landscape. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead. Pride NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. We're going to have kind of a weird NFL university today because the NFL just decided we're going to have one of the craziest news drop days in as long as I can remember, really. And so we want to focus on everything that's come out today and everything that's happened across the National Football League. So let's just get right to it. I need to welcome in Kyle Posey of Niners Nation as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co., Guys, I think where we have to start today, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers has tested positive for COVID-19. He's out for Sunday's game against the Kansas City Chiefs because Rodgers is unvaccinated, meaning in accordance with the NFL's COVID-19 protocols, he will be out a minimum of 10 days. That means Jordan Love's likely going to get the start, although I I think they're working out Blake Bortles. So maybe we'll get a Blake Bortles sighting on Sunday if uh, something else happens with this Green Bay team. But our reaction, what's going on? It seems like Rogers kind of lied about being vaccinated. Uh, I, I, I just, it's been a crazy day in the NFL. I, I don't even know what to think about Aaron Rodgers right now. Justice, uh, hey man, I, I, I woke up this morning and and you know I'm Pacific time. I woke up into a new world uh, than the one that I expected to be waking up in. I, I wrote a thousand words on the Packers practice squad last night at like 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. And then woke up and yeah, hey, that extra practice squad spot is for Blake Bortles because he's coming in because your quarterback can't play. Um, that's not what I expected. I mean, what what can you say here? <laughs> so Aaron Rodgers uh, said that he was immunized. Um, that seems not to be the case. We learned that immunized was a uh, subtle a subtle wordplay, I guess, uh, on Rodgers' end because he petitioned the league to recognize uh, non-traditional vaccine as him being vaccinated. The league turned it down. Um, I would say, you know, there's a lot of people right now who are looking at like sideline shots of Aaron Rodgers with him uh, not having a mask on. That doesn't really matter in terms of the league's protocol right now. Um, as long as he is active for the game, um, the un- the un- the inactive players are the ones that have to wear the mask. The big thing that I would watch out, and it's something that they asked uh, Lafleur in the press conferences, if this guy was unvaccinated, why is he doing maskless uh, interviews in person with the media? And the media actually asked, you know, Lafleur about that. And Lafleur's answer was, I can't even comment on if he should or shouldn't have been wearing a mask based off of protocol, because then that would let you know if he was vaccinated or not. Um, if there is legislation from like the NFL to punish Green Bay, I would think that it would be coming from that specifically because you are then putting in your me- you're putting your media partners in a position where they might be unsafe at the uh, on the on uh, on the clock, right? I mean, that's something that shouldn't be overlooked because that then goes into labor practices and that's something that the league has to then take a little bit more seriously than hey, your franchise is cool with this approve, right? When when other businesses become involved, that's when it starts becoming a hey, we might have to come down on you situation. So you mentioned this before we started recording. What are the odds that this is a trickle down? This is a domino effect, and Rogers isn't the only person affected. Like that is a very real thing that we might not find out until Sunday. Maybe we'll find out later in the week. But 
Um, I would not rule that out either. There are so many moving parts to this. Uh, you mentioned the the odds that there's a fine that happens. I don't think this is the end of it at all. I think this is just the beginning, and who knows where this goes. Uh, was LaFleur protecting Rodgers? I don't know. But just scratching the surface on this Rodgers stuff, man. Uh, well, and- LaFleur has been like Rodgers' biggest advocate throughout the whole process, too. That That shouldn't be overlooked, right? When Mark Murphy, the team president, was out here calling Rodgers a complicated fella, right? Um, which, hey, it's barren roots right now, right? In terms of uh, being labeled complicated fella. LaFleur was the guy who was going to bat for Rodgers around every corner. Um, and at this point, it seems like he's really doing that. In the press conferences, I, I guess, like, what is the expectation for, like, a head coach even commenting on vaccination status of guys under his watch, like I'm, I'm sure there's rules in terms of like league level information that like, Hey, that type of medical information isn't supposed to be released in like press conferences. Right. So I don't think that it should have been expected that he would even comment on, on his status necessarily. I did think that like the answer in the press conference to the reporter asking like, Hey, basically was I exposed? Um, seemed very like that definitely went through PR. You know what I mean? Like there, yeah. there's a plan here to kind of save their own asses. He also said that the league never mentioned to them once that they had uh, broken protocol, which don't just let the Packers take the whole blame for this. If, if that indeed was broken protocol that Rogers was able to do uh, in-person press conferences without a mask. Um, if the league was tweeting out, those videos too, like how could they not have been aware of the situation? You know what I mean? So you should give the league some heat for that too. Yeah. And that's why Matt LaFleur's comments in the press conference, like, you know, I I don't think the NFL coaches are supposed to comment on specific players, you know, but when you ask them like, you know, is the team fully vaccinated? They'll generally be like, yeah, we're over 90% or 95% or whatever. Uh, But With that being said, everything that's come out today, it kind of makes it seem like the Packers are like, oh, we might get punished for this. So we should just watch what we say. And because Aaron Rodgers hasn't been wearing that mask and it seems like they were fully aware that he wasn't properly vaccinated. And so now, yeah, you have to question every the way that they've managed him all season, because why weren't you just making him wear a mask? And there's a report that, you know, he's wearing a mask around team facilities, following team protocols and stuff like that. But the the press conference thing is a problem and it's been going on the entire season. So I just don't really know what to think about. I guess I'm not shocked that Aaron Rodgers isn't vaccinated. Like I've listened to a ton of interviews. I know. He's, you know, all into the holistic stuff and like spiritual exploration. And he's like a really deep thinker. But let's be clear here. He believes in chemtrails and says that he's seen a UFO before. So there's been some evidence here that like, uh, again, Mark Murphy's quote, right? Complicated fella. Let's not give him a pass for being stupid, though. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely shouldn't do that. And. So I, I'm curious how this game plays out on Sunday now, assuming it is Jordan Love, and it, it really better be Jordan Love. Because um, uh, this is the second time now that we're not going to see an Aaron Rodgers matchup with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was dealing with a knee injury when they were supposed to play in 2019, and he hadn't missed that game. So it was Rodgers versus Matt Moore. And so we're going to miss this prime matchup once again because of this circumstance. And now Jordan Love steps in. And he's going against a bad Chiefs defense. Like, I think it's totally reasonable to assume Jordan Love can find success against this Chiefs defense. And the way the Chiefs offense looked on Monday night against the New York Giants, I don't think it's out of the question that the Packers just look better than the Chiefs on Sunday, even without Aaron Rodgers, to be totally honest. So, Steve, let's flip it to you. You guys reverse jinxing me. I know it. I know it. Let's let's talk about that matchup because – the Packers offense against with let's just assume that Jordan Love is playing against a Chiefs defense. You called them bad. I don't think that is doing justice to how poorly that team is playing. I had this thought Monday night and I was wondering, is Georgia's defense better than the Chiefs? <laughs> they are that bad, man. They make so many mistakes and they do it over and over and over again. And the thing is, 
This is every game. It's nothing new. They're not solving their problems. Um, they are really, really tough to watch. Across the board, the Chiefs are pretty much a bottom three defense in, in any statistical category you look at. Um, I don't know, man. I, obviously, Aaron, you're, there's a giant, significant drop-off from Aaron Rodgers to anybody. But if you were going to start Jordan Love for one game, you probably want that to happen against the Chiefs defense. Steve, do you think the Chiefs have a chance to slow down the Aaron rodgers list Packers? I mean, maybe. Probably not. I'm not confident at all <laughs> in the defense right now. It's all they need to know is when Daniel Sorensen is on the field and when Ben Neiman drops back into pass coverage, just throw whoever they are trying to guard and you'll find success against this Chiefs defense. Like they've been playing a little bit better. And also part of the problem is that Anthony Hitchens is returning to practice this week, which means that he's probably going to step back in for Nick Bolton, who's been playing better at his position yes. than he was at where they were playing him earlier in the season. So that means the defense is automatically going to take a downgrade because the Chiefs are most definitely going to put Anthony Hitchens in this game if he is healthy enough to play. And so that boost that they've been getting from their linebacker play, I don't know if it's going to be there on Sunday because Anthony Hitchens is entering back into the lineup. So no, I don't have any faith. And especially, you know, I know the Packers offense wasn't explosive or anything special against the Arizona Cardinals on Thursday night but they were good enough to win that football game. And I think you can just beat the chiefs by running the football and throwing it, Daniel Sorensen and Ben Neiman. That's how bad the defense is. So I still am have no confidence in the chiefs defense. And I still feel pretty confident that Matt LaFleur could put something together to beat Kansas city. What I, I think probably the best trait LaFleur has as like a game day coach um, is understanding what players he has on the field for the plays that are called. And that, that sounds very simple, but you could see how it adjusts when Devontae Adams isn't there. They're not running those RPOs, right? They don't, they don't have a guy who can do what Devontae does when he just has the ball in his hands inst instantly. Um, in the preseason, when Jordan Love was in there instead of Aaron Rodgers, they aren't throwing those quick now, like the ball has to be pinpoint, right? Type of passes. Um, I, th I think what you're probably going to get in this game is – Green Bay, like you guys mentioned, trying to run the ball, being under center a lot, basically turning love into that type of like McVay Shanahan quarterback that we've seen have like training wheels on him. Right. Where, you know, it's 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 basically like the high school version. Right. It is like what buck trap waggle or it's like the NFL version is like stretch duo uh, boot. Right. I mean, and that's probably what we're going to see out of love. Um, Devontae still has a return to practice. They didn't anticipate him being there before Thursday, Joe Barry still isn't there. You know, their defensive coordinator, that's also a storyline. Um, just so many things up in the air. The, the one benefit, I guess I would say, is that Green Bay is coming off of extended rest, right? They're, they played Thursday. Uh, Kansas City played Monday. That, I'm sure, helps, especially in, like, a weird week like this. But, man, you guys taking a quarterback who has never started a football game at the NFL <laughs> level before – in a game against Patrick Mahomes, boy wonder, off to the greatest start in NFL history. What a fall from grace. What are is we doing Robert, here? Is Tunyon going to play? Is he still out? Buddy, he is done. Yeah, he's that, done. That, that, that so, popped. That's It's out of there. So, yeah, if Adams, obviously we don't know the status of Adams, who will love throw to? Because The reason I asked about Tunyon is you can spread the Chiefs out and get Sorensen, get those linebackers in space underneath and have those – not those now RPO screen illegal plays that I that the Packers love to run. But hey, they, at like, least they look, they have they have the pride to at the very least when they throw go. RPOs, they're behind the line of scrimmage. They're at least not the downfield like wake forest stuff where it's right. a mesh for 10 seconds and you throw it 25 yards down the field. That's absurd. Did you guys watch any of the Chiefs versus the Giants on Monday night? I watched I did. they uh, they looked good for one drive when they were like, hey. The we're first gonna take what the we're gonna take what the defense gives us. We're gonna run the football, and then they're just like, "Hey, to hell with that plan. Let, yeah. Let's just air it out." And it, it just was doesn't the make first. Sense. It was the first drive of the game that Andy Reid scripts out, and then it also ended in a turnover. But they immediately got an interception, and so got a short field and wound up scoring anyways. 
But that was the only drive of the game that the offense looked good. So I'm not confident right now in Patrick Mahomes or Kansas City or anything the Chiefs are doing, really. I watched nine minutes in the fourth quarter of that game, and I could tell that outside of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, those receivers should not be on the field. When they go to run the ball, you cannot run the ball with 150-pound wide receivers trying to block. I think we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, it looked like Damian Williams, I believe that was running back, uh, or who, who was running back for the Chiefs? Because uh, Derek, he was, Derek Gore and Daryl Williams. Yeah, they had a Gore there, and I was Definitely like, wait, that Gore? I was like, their running backs uh, were like tippy-toeing through the line. They looked super passive. I There was a lot of issues on offense, and obviously holding on to the ball has been a problem for the Chiefs recently as well. So um, when you talk about look at both of their, those defenses between the Chiefs and the Packers, we are talking about uh, the Chiefs lead the league in success rate on defense. And when I say lead the league, I mean they are dead last. The Packers are three spots behind them, I believe. So ideally, both offenses should have success. It's just a matter of, you know, it always comes down to turnovers. Justice, what were you going to say? Um, the big thing with Kansas City that I'm noticing this year, th- there's really two teams that defenses are treating this way, right? And they're both spread teams, so I don't think it's a surprise. But Kansas City and Miami, when they get into 12 personnel, which is two tight ends on the field, teams are not putting their base defenses out there. They're just treating that 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 tight end that they have at one of the tight ends that they have out there just as a pure receiver. And I don't think those defenses are wrong for doing it. And they're getting some advantages from it, right? Gusecki, uh, Kelsey, those are both guys who, if you looked at how they played, they are, they actually are more wide receivers than they are tight ends, you know, in terms of how they can influence the run game and where they line up, et cetera. And I think that's, I guess, taking away some of like the speed advantages that like the Chiefs have gotten, you know, in the past few years. And it really does come down to, to a certain extent, you have Kelsey out there, you have Miko Hardman out there, and you have Travis Kelsey out there, even in 12 personnel, how are you supposed to be running the ball even against a nickel front? And I think that's becoming more of an issue where it's like compare that to like Green Bay, right? Where Alan Lazard is basically playing tight end snaps for him at times. When when you want to play their 11 personnel, the nickel, they'll treat Alan Lazard like he's a second tight end and get you, you know, out of a comfortable situation. That is so different from like what Kansas City does, right? And I, I think we're getting back to the point where tight end is less about just pure passing production and more about how you can influence defenses into different personnel groupings oh yeah 49ers do a great job of that by the way and then uh, they're not the only 100%. team but the, Kel- the difference yeah. between with kittle <laughs> and, and use check yeah i mean those guys are fun pieces to play with they go hey yes. you know we can line up in empty or we can line up in like i formation and we could gut you and you don't know what is coming so you have to send one defense in to stop both of those situations right i mean that's that's the complication that defenses get in get put into yeah, I, I desperately want the Chiefs to figure something out offensively, but it, it just seems like I, I've been saying that for half the NFL season. And so I've I've lost all confidence that they're going to figure anything out moving forward. But we'll see how this thing plays out on Sunday. Uh, late last night, as the Atlanta Braves were winning the World Series, the Las Vegas Raiders released wide receiver Henry Ruggs. You know, I, I, I don't want to speculate, but it seems like that Timing was intentional. Uh, if you haven't stayed up to date, Henry Ruggs uh, has been arrested and booked on a charge of a DUI resulting in the death of another person following his involvement in a traffic collision at approximately 3.39 th- a.m. Pacific on Tuesday morning in Las Vegas. Chief Deputy District Attorney Eric Bauman said in court today that the former Raiders wide receiver was traveling at 156 miles per hour before the car crash that left a 23-year-old woman dead. Ruggs' blood alcohol level was more than twice the legal limit. Obviously, this is just an awful, awful situation. Uh, you know, Thoughts and prayers to the woman's family who lost her life in this car accident. It's just an awful, awful situation. And it's an awful situation for a 22-year-old wide receiver who made a really, really poor decision in his life and it's going to wind up costing him dearly. So I, I, I don't have much else to say other than that uh, on this. I, I just wanted to keep you guys up to date on the facts of that case as we're moving forward through this episode. 
And as I mentioned, just tons of stuff coming out today in the NFL. The NFL trade deadline was yesterday, and it wasn't really uh, an exciting trade deadline, but kind of the backflow, I, I guess, from yesterday's trade deadline. The Browns excused wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. from practice today. Uh, it was a team decision to leave him out of practice. Then there was reports coming out. The head coach, Kevin Stefanski, addressed the team and said that Odell Beckham is not a part of their team right now. And they are discussing options about what to do with the wide receiver. He still has a couple years left on his deal, still owed a lot of money. The Browns reportedly do not want to outright release him to give him an opportunity to land with another AFC contender. So I don't really know what Cleveland's going to do with Odell Beckham right now, but it sounds like this thing has totally fallen apart and the relationship between him and Baker Mayfield is at a crossroads right now. So curious what you guys think the Browns should be doing with Odell Beckham at this moment. What can they do? Because now, now that the deadline has passed, Vested veterans are subject to waivers, right? So just talking about like Green Bay, for example, because they've been a big example of like adding veterans midseason, you know, Jalen Smith, Whitney Merciless, they both were just straight up released, right? Because they weren't essentially the way vested veterans work is, are you eligible for a rookie contract? If you're on a rookie contract or within that time frame, you then go to waivers. If you're a veteran in the first half of the season, when you're released, you're a free agent. Right. No, no strings attached. Nothing. Now that the deadline has passed, that's not the situation anymore. So if Odell was released, he's subject to waivers. So, the you know, the, the Lions have the first shot at being able to claim them. And then it works down the line based off of NFL standings. Right. So I don't really even understand, like, what is here to be worked out like that? That's out of the Browns's hands, even. Right. If they if they do let Odell hit the open market they don't really get any choice and on who gets to claim them because Odell doesn't have any influence on that either. If someone wants to take on the contract, they can simply put in a bid and take on the contract at this point. So I don't even understand what's really going on here. Yeah, I don't either, but I do understand. I imagine, you know, when you were talking about just the vested veterans, um, letting him go to a potentially AFC team, like that's why those bridges are burned um, with Cleveland the way what his dad was doing on Instagram on Monday, it wasn't as if he was showing a couple plays here and there. He basically took the whole reel, the whole cut up, went full PFF ultimate, um, sent all the information and just had his dad post him. Now he's not at practice, probably not going to be with the team the rest of the season. They have to just cut their losses. But again, like, how do you do that? Like, what is the best route to take? I don't know what that answer is. And I think it's okay to admit that. He's either on the roster or not. It's it's right. that simple, though. Like, they don't have many options. You don't have the same mechanics that you had in the first half of the season either. And uh, Dwayne Bow, we got to give a shout-out to Dwayne Bow for his addition wow. into it, where he was like, yeah, they're doing you just like they did me. Like, ah, I, I don't know about that. Apples to apples. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's exactly the same situation. But he does seem frustrated, man. Like, I don't know. At a certain point, like, if it's not working, is it worth the money? You're, you're a team that probably should be contending in the AFC. I don't, I don't think the AFC, in terms of, like, the top teams, it's not impossible that, like, the Browns come out and end up representing the AFC in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, they have a pretty good chance at it, even though the the AFC North is competitive. Um, at some point, don't you wonder, like, just for the locker room, like, if he doesn't want to be there, if we're not getting him the ball – if we have receivers who can produce in his absence, which they've been able to do, like at what point is it just like, screw it, do what you want, man. Like it's just better for everyone. Everything doesn't have to be a negotiation. Everything doesn't have to be like you get something in return for value going elsewhere. Maybe it's just like a positive for all sides if they just move on. I mean, in his mind, he's probably the same receiver he thought he was, you know, a couple years ago when he did go over a thousand yards with the Browns or, you know, during his time with the Giants where he was a legitimate superstar. He's not that guy anymore. I'm not saying Odell Beckham's not getting open because in Kevin Savancy's offense, anybody can get open on those over routes and crossing routes. But still, he had one target last week. He's not getting the ball at all. The week before that against Denver, 
he had two catches on six targets for 23 yards. So he's kind of an afterthought in this offense. And that was even with Jarvis Landry out. So I don't think they need him to be successful. But at the same time, you mentioned where they are as a team. I don't think AFC is good. I think it's the Bills. I still say the Ravens. And even if you want to say the Bengals and what, who, who else would you say? Who else would you feel confident saying after that? And you could argue the Bengals and the Ravens are still like well below the tier of the Bills. Yeah, and the, the Ravens don't have a pass defense. This is the worst right. their pass defense has ever looked like in 20 years of, of, of uh, Ravens football. This is like the worst they've looked in terms of pass defense. So, and, and Buffalo too, like it's not like they're playing the hardest schedule in the league up to this point. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, Josh Allen's regressing a little bit. Don't get in my mentions, Bill Ma- Bill's Mafia. But he's not necessarily like MVP caliber quarterback play from the pocket right now. And we saw against Pittsburgh that, you know, if, if you kind of like double up the edges um, and keep them in the pocket, there might be some ways to kind of make Josh Allen throw some bad balls. And I, I still don't think that because of their schedule, they've really played a defense that had that plan to go along with a quarterback who could compete with Josh Allen in a shootout. And I think that's kind of like what you need to kind of beat that type of quarterback. So I don't I don't think I, I think the three best teams in football are all in the NFC. Um, I guess is the way I would put it. It's it's the Rams, it's the Buccaneers, it's the Packers. I think those are still the three teams to beat. Dallas would be up there if I was convinced in any sort of way that Dak Prescott would be able to play 17 games. But that I mean, that already hasn't happened. But he's on his right. third injury of the season, man. Yeah. And he was a guy who had to get worked on just to get ready. Like Dak is having a great year. Um, That's I not going to get better anytime soon. It seems like he's on a pitch count too which is part of the problem, right? Where you see him working out in the pregame and he looks great in the pregame. And you wonder why is he even working out um, if they're not going to let him play after he looks like that? And is that because he's on a pitch count? And then that becomes a question of, all right, is he ready to actually go on like a full regular season plus playoff run? And I have my doubts there. Yeah, I think it's clear that the NFC, just the top teams in the NFC are are better, in my opinion, than every team in the AFC right now. But I guess it's the Bills. Uh, I'm kind of with Justice in saying that, like, I think Josh Allen has regressed a little bit. But overall, like top to bottom, they're still the best team because every other AFC team you can point out just major flaws in in everything that they've done so far this season. Uh, And as far as the Browns go, they're just kind of in a bad spot, like as a team, I guess, with Odell, because he was injured and he wasn't healthy. So it's not like you could have started up the trade talks a little earlier because he's such a highly paid player, whereas nobody was going to trade him for that contract when he wasn't healthy. And then when he gets back and he is healthy, he's not a part of the offense. So he hasn't shown anything to make anybody think they should shell out that kind of money in, you know, as well as some type of asset in a trade or something like that. So not sure what Cleveland's doing. It it sounds like maybe they're trying to come to some kind of settlement if, if that's possible and see if Odell will just leave money on the table and, and just walk away. And and maybe he's made enough money in his career that he's interested in doing that. Um, But you're still subject to waivers. Like, okay. Yeah. So, so, Urban Meyer can't stop talking about team speed. We've talked about this like every week of the season, right? They asked him about wide receiver today or uh, yesterday. He said they don't have enough team speed. You're if you're Odell, do you turn down money knowing that Jacksonville will probably put in a claim to add you just because Urban Meyer is trying to save a little bit face, right? I don't think that's worth it. Is, is turning down money to go play for a one-win Jags team that has a coach who's, like, learning what being in the NFL is like live, is that worth it? I don't think so. With a rookie quarterback, and they haven't been able to show to show anyone that they've been able to get the ball to actual wide re- – in the hands of wide receivers. Like, those are the type of questions that are, like, functionally going to come up with this. And that's why I wonder, like, what what is there even to discuss? Because this isn't in the hands of Odell, or it's not in the hands of the Cleveland Browns. It's in the hands of whoever puts in a waiver claim for Odell. 
And think about the teams who are at the bottom of the NFL, like standings wise. You have the Dolphins, who Devontae Parker is not playing. They would want to get a guy for Tua to throw the ball to. You have the Texans, Davis Mills. You probably want to get somebody opposite of Brandon Cooks to throw the ball to. Same with the Jets. I mean, you can just keep going down the list, down the list. You mentioned the Jaguars. I would be terrified of being claimed by one of those terrible teams uh, if I were OBJ. So, yeah, I'm. I would not leave any sort of money on the table knowing that I'm the odds of me getting outside of let's call them the bottom five in a waiver claim in the NFL where all they care about is talent. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing that at all. Yeah. Team his, his agent's going to have a busy couple of days trying to figure out what they should do here and how to navigate the situation. But it's a good place to take a quick time out when we get back on NFL university, We're going to dive into some of these trades from yesterday and the past couple of weeks and discuss how they affect the teams moving forward. That's next. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have some exciting news for you, class. Your time starts now. NFL. Crash course? This doesn't happen very often. You're going to enjoy this one. Welcome back into NFL University. I am Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined as always by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co., It feels like it was a thousand years ago, but yesterday was indeed the NFL trade deadline. And probably the biggest move uh, ahead of the deadline was former Broncos Super Bowl MVP, pass rusher extraordinaire Von Miller going to the Los Angeles Rams. Obviously, the Rams are one of the best teams in the NFL right now. Uh, I, I believe they're at the top of the NFL in terms of sack totals, have Aaron Donald, then you add Von Miller to the mix of this team. Is this the type of move, guys, that can really put the Rams kind of a level above everybody else right now? Because we already talked about how stacked the NFC is. Uh, but this seems like that kind of championship run title all in move for Los Angeles. Yeah, 100 percent. I, I talked to, you know, stats. We did the emergency podcast when when Vaughn was traded Um just game planning for Aaron Donald is on the interior. Von Miller is coming off of the edge and Jalen Ramsey could be lining up anywhere in the secondary. That's a whole lot to manage just even from like a pre-snap look as you're walking up to the ball. You know what I mean? So I think that's huge. The Rams in general, I think are kind of breaking the mold um, of like the sustainability franchise, right? Like you, everyone talks about, uh new england right they talk about baltimore they talk about green bay these teams that have been good for a very long time because they do like what is kind of thought to be like efficient the rams don't seem to care about that and i think some of that is probably you know cronky ownership uh is in court right now he probably would like headlines about 
how good his football team is rather than him potentially being sued for a billion dollars by the city of St. Louis. Um, the other factor is Matt Stafford is an aging quarterback. And the other factor is that Sean McVay has already been offered uh, a contract by Monday Night Football that approaches $10 million, right? So you, you don't get a $10 million offer without at least, at least flirting with the interest of being on television at some point. I, I wonder if the Rams are the Rams are here for a good time, not a long time, right? And you're you, you know, there's a lot of franchises that operate under the, the presumption of long time. Or, you know, McVeigh, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he just wants his ring and then to do, go do TV at, at 40 years old and John Madden. Um, it's an interesting way to kind of skin the cat. And I think it does kind of ruin the balance of the league a little bit. But it is good for these teams. And it, it should be noted, too, if, the, if you ever thought the NFL cap structure was about parity, there has been no better example than the last two years of it not being about parity. When you can pay draft picks and the Denver Broncos will eat the salary of a guy like Vaughn Miller so that he could then play for you on a one-year deal, it's impossible to pretend that it's about one-year parity and that, that that team talent across the board is equal at all times. That's never what this has been about. Yeah, there's always a way, and we've seen teams prove that time and time again. I think for the Rams' mindset, get good players, win now, and figure it out later, and that's exactly what they're doing. If you look at some of their recent day two picks, why wouldn't you trade for Von Miller? I don't know. Tutu though. got yeah. in like 10 snaps. It is already, he's 140 pounds. I would understand why. Hey, like, less need. You're done. You're not making day two picks anymore. We took away your first rounders. Now we're going to start taking away your day two picks because you're messing those up too. Yeah, and to um, avoid drafting backups and guys who are 130 pounds in the NFL, you just trade for Hall of Fame superstar players. Love what the Rams are doing. I think that sends a mindset to the team that, you know, you're trying to win. You're always trying to win. You're always aggressive, and it's worked out for them. Think about it. The Rams' floor has, under McVay has been a nine-win season. They are winning constantly with this mindset. So for them to change would be like hustling backwards, right? Because it's working for them. And everyone always talks about building through the draft, but there's so many different ways to build your team. And we've seen time and time again that these trades midseason do pay off for teams. I don't think anybody, I just don't see another team really trying to go all in on this approach. Like the Rams did get kind of a head start with this where, you know, they got, Aaron Donald's a generational player who they refused to pay for a long time, but then they finally did. And it's actually worked out for them. Uh, you know, Cooper cup was a really good draft pick who has really paid off, but yeah, they just, they've just punted on the draft picks and said, we're going to just try to do everything else in a really smart way and build. And it's impressive and getting Matthew Stafford. Whereas like that was, a questionable trade where I certainly had my doubts about it coming into this season, you know, whether I always knew Matthew Stafford was a talented player who was probably held back by the Detroit lions, but like he's playing at an MVP caliber level. That was an incredible trade for them. That looks like it has put them over the top as a franchise. And so, yeah, I think when you're this close going all in, yeah, screw the draft picks. Let's go, let's go win a title. And I, I love the way you put it justice. Like, Let's just have fun and go all out this season. Who cares about next year? We'll see what happens down the line. So I kind of dig. And I kind of think Tampa's done that a little bit too. I I think you started seeing the wheels in motion for like this type of thinking in probably New England at the end of the Brady era. And then in New Orleans, obviously under, you know, the last couple of years under Drew Brees where they're just punting money down the line. I think Tampa did that. Um, you know, last season and this offseason, the, the difference is they did it to kind of keep their team together this past offseason, right? They basically brought everyone back. They're adding these fake years so that cap hits hit uh, in, in 2022 and 2023 when the salary cap is supposed to escalate back to like pre-COVID levels when, uh, you know, ticket revenue and television stuff was a little bit different. Um, the Rams, it's more about like outside acquisition, but I think that this is kind of where the league is at. I mean, look at how differently teams are structured right now than they were even five years ago, where Philadelphia and Miami, for example, right? They're, they're kind of like the sellers, right? They, they build assets. Um, Miami 
has not done so well with the assets that they've been able to bring in um, in terms of the draft picks. But then you see other teams like Tampa and the Los Angeles Rams where they're very much the buyers and they're just like infuse us with talent right now. I, I kind of wonder like if the NFL in a few years starts looking a little bit more like the NBA in terms of the contenders where you kind of know who's actually in contention in the preseason, um, you know, more so than like seeing it play out in the regular season. Obviously, injuries is a huge deal in the NFL compared to uh, the NBA in terms of just like pure volume. Even when Rodgers was complaining in the offseason about like bringing the Packers into kind of like a modern structure, I think that's kind of what he was talking about, right? Was being able to kind of make these moves when you know you're this close to being able to compete. Uh, another big trade uh, ahead of yesterday's trade deadline. The Kansas City Chiefs trade with the Pittsburgh Steelers for pass rusher Melvin Ingram. And while the Rams are at the top of the NFL in terms of sacks, the Chiefs are at the bottom of the NFL in terms of sacks. And they've got a lot of money put into that defensive line. They worked out Melvin Ingram during training camp, but couldn't come to a deal. He wound up signing with the Pittsburgh Steelers, wasn't happy with his playing time there. And he's a player that's still been effective when he's gotten the snaps. So I think he's a player that could play for the chiefs right away. Uh, obviously he can still contribute. I don't know if this is a move that like puts the chiefs over the top. We've already spent plenty of time talking about how bad their defense is, but it can't do anything, but help their pass rush a little bit. So I, I mean, I'm hopeful Chris Jones finally looked good. Frank Clark got a sack on Monday night football. That was also against the New York giants offensive line, but Melvin Ingram can't hurt the chiefs, right? Like he, he's going to help them in some way. I hope. I think if anything, this allows Chris Jones to kick back inside full time. And you know, that's what you want. Like That's why you bring in Melvin, uh, Melvin Ingram. He has been fine with the Steelers. I think that they're just relying on some of their younger rushers, but um, he has stats. He's hit the quarterback 12 times for Sports Info Solutions. Um, he has 15 hurries. He, he does only have one sack, but he, he has been productive. From when I, Whenever I watch the Steelers, it seemed like he was still doing the same thing Melvin Ingram does, whether it's looping inside or using a spin move or bull rushing somebody back. So I do think he'll be able to help Kansas City. Yeah, I think you nailed uh you, you hit the nail on the head there with being able to kick Chris Jones back inside. I mean, I, I think that that's probably the easiest way to get more production out of this Kansas City defense. Um, the big thing, I think, with Pittsburgh, I think he came in there to compete with Alec Highsmith, uh, you know, opposite of TJ Watt as like the starter. And then once it became clear, like, hey, dude, Alex Highsmith is going to be a player and he's on a rookie contract like Ingram, you're probably going to be coming off the bench on third downs and, you know, pressure packages and stuff. Is that what you want to do? Probably not. All right, we'll ship you out. Um, I do kind of think it's interesting they would make that trade within the AFC, right? I mean, Pittsburgh isn't a team that's out of the playoffs by any means at this point. Um, that seven seed is wide open in the AFC right now. So it's kind of interesting to see uh, them competing for that seven seed at the same time and the Steelers willing to make that move for the Chiefs. And uh, no another trade for the San Francisco 49ers, another team that's got a lot of money invested in their defensive line, and maybe it's underperformed just a little bit this season. The 49ers trade with the Houston Texans for defensive end. Charles Emin-Ahu. I looked it up earlier, I swear. I I'm just struggling with it. But he's an impactful player for a, a team like the San Francisco 49ers that are – Still kind of on the fringe playoff contender possibility in a tough division, but still super competitive each and every week. We'll see how that works out for them. But do you think this is a significant move for the San Francisco 49ers, KP? I think it's a minute here. I think I heard an announcer say a minute here. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? But they just need production out of anybody outside of Nick Bosa. D Ford has not played more than 33% of the snaps and any game so far, and then he missed last game with a concussion. I think the big one is just Javon Kinlaw not being in the game. And so he's out for the season, and they need a big body inside who can rush the passer. And from what I've seen, that's what a Minihu can bring to the table. So maybe he's just a sub-package player eventually, but I think that he will be good for them, and he's under contract for another year too. So they, it was smart to take a flyer, take a day three flyer, and a guy who is on a rookie contract for two more years. I, I like what I saw from him. I'm not going to say that, you know, he's going to have the impact that Von Miller will, but I, I think it'll be effective for him. And the trade that we were all kind of keeping our eyes on, waiting to see if something actually happened, was the Houston Texans shipping Deshaun Watson 
Uh, it was reported that the Miami Dolphins were the ones that if it happens, it's going to be Miami. And it did not happen. And now Miami has spent the last 24 hours trying to backtrack how heavily interested they really were in Deshaun Watson. I never really thought Deshaun Watson was going to get moved. It just seemed like there was just way too much going on with him off the field. Obviously, too many uncertainties there for the Miami Dolphins to give up a boatload of assets to acquire a player like that. And, and then not to mention him actually playing this season with everything that's hanging over his head. So I, I can't imagine you guys were shocked by that either, but I, I just never saw this trade actually happening. Could you imagine if Watson was traded? Just like the the outcry of everything that's going on legally with him. Um, it would have been a terrible look for the NFL, knowing that Goodell has done nothing all season about it or really said anything about it. So um, probably the right PR move to not go get Deshaun Watson based on everything he's doing. And I think that is, was my big takeaway. We still don't know if he's going to be criminally, criminally charged. Like that's such a massive piece in this that it, it just seemed impossible to, to get it done. I mean, I know Florio reported uh, earlier in the week that the, compensation changed when the Texans got got a whiff that Watson was willing to settle cases uh, for the Miami Dolphins. That is such bad process and such a bad look for the league over like at a certain point you have to look around and say like are do we look like massive assholes right now right if we allow this to happen and that's when the commissioner should step in right um just the the fact that there's just seemingly no leadership in the league in terms of this decision is just so weird. And then talking about the Dolphins, Hal Habib, who covers the Miami Dolphins, tweeted out that Greer said uh, on the topic of if Tua over uh, Herbert was a mistake, quote, I don't know. I'll leave that for you to judge, unquote. That is the sound of a general manager who is not happy about ownership coming down and helping make that decision. I mean, I could tell you – face forward that is what that is about right um front office wanted herbert the coaching staff wanted an offensive lineman ownership wanted to attack of iloa and they got to a and i don't think anyone there is happy about it there's obviously been decisions made in miami that also did not break right beyond just Tua. right the front All office right. is spending draft picks on offensive linemen who can't block that's always bad, especially when those draft picks were kind of like your asset building uh, foundation for the future. They have that cornerback who is a first round pick whose name I can't say out of Auburn. Uh, who can't get, he can't get on the field. He can't get on the field. He was a first round pick. That matters. Austin Jackson's getting his ass kicked like that matters. And then on the coaching staff wise, right, they have two offense coordinators. They seem like they don't know what they're doing. And then they just canned their first offense coordinator that they hired under the head coach. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's just mistakes on every level of this franchise right now that has made that, like, hashtag trust the process level thinking not pan out in the end. Didn't Flores come out and say, I think it was last year, that he wanted Herbert? He all but said that he wanted Herbert. So, uh, to a man, they don't have his back. And when when they're going to this extent publicly, it's such a terrible look. I will say I think Jalen Waddle is a player. I think he's a real deal. He's being used like Wes Welker because the OCs feel like that's the best way to get him the ball because of how they feel about the quarterback. Which They traded a top five pick in this upcoming draft to move up, not even to select, yeah. to move up for Jalen Waddle, who caught a pass this year for a safety. That's <laughs> so many bad things had to happen in a row for that to happen, like to even be able to get that sentence out. They, they're a mess. I think, you know, Flores, I think in terms of coaching, he is like prime candidate for like guy who will look better at his second head coaching stop than his first head coaching stop because he's learned for lessons, sure. um, you know, in, in terms of the bumps and bruises, right. That, it, that he's had to go through in Miami, but this kind of feels like a situation where you just need to pl pull the plug. I mean, I don't think the front office is working. I don't think the, the coaching staff is working right now. I don't think anyone's bought into the quarterback. That's a huge deal. It's just a mess, and it's kind of sad to see them basically – I mean, M Minka Fitzpatrick, right, like after two games was like, mm. hell no, I got to get the hell out of here, right? Like we're going to put bad film out there. This team is not trying to win football games. And to see them go from that 
to then becoming competitive at the end of Flores' first year, right? And then to see them just do nothing with any of the assets they were able to build is just very sad because it seemed like they were going to have a plan in motion and that everyone was bought in. And now it seems like no one is bought in and you probably just got to move on. Uh, it, it says a lot where we came into the season and said the Houston Texans are the most dysfunctional organization in football. And this superstar quarterback who is up for grabs because he wanted out of Houston and then everything that he's got going off the field, every other team in the league was like, Nope, not going near that. But the Miami dolphins leadership was like, yeah, let's, let's see what we can, let's see what we can do here, what we can make happen. It's just two very dysfunctional organizations. They, they cleared ownership to talk to Deshaun Watson on like Tuesday. So yes. you know that they were involved with the talk. So they were like still actively thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, to a certain point, right? It doesn't matter if they made the move or not. The fact that they were even thinking about it and considering it, it kind of shows you where their headspace is at. And it's not in a good spot right now. Well, I think what that tells you is in their minds, they think that winning will solve all of this. And by getting Deshaun Watson in the building, they'll be able to overlook all of the mistakes they made because one in seven, they can reel off a few wins. They'll be able to pat themselves on the back and show the fans and the ownership that, hey, we are doing the right thing. We are heading in the right direction. And, man, you have to overlook a lot to come to that train of thought. The Dolphins are a good example of how you kind of need every level of the NFL organization to work because they were a fringe playoff team last season, thought they were headed in the right direction, and then it's just been a total train wreck this season. And it's because it seems like every level of the organization has their own agenda or they're trying to do their own thing, and you just can't function like Politics, that. Politics, baby. Politics <laughs> wins out. Yeah, you just simply can't function like that in the modern-day NFL. Uh this does actually feel like it happened a year ago, but it was just on Monday. Titans running back Derrick Henry suffered a foot injury over the weekend. Uh, it is likely a season-ending injury. There's a chance, though, that he could be back late in the season, just kind of depending on how rehab goes. Obviously, he is the engine that drives that Tennessee Titans offense. Derrick Henry is the most important running back in football. Even if you're a guy that running backs don't matter, Derrick Henry's the one guy that you might be like, okay, he matters a little bit. So it's going to drastically change this Tennessee Titans offense, but they did go sign Adrian Peterson. So I think the Titans are still going to be a ground and pound football team. What do you guys think? That's all I know, right? I agree. I agree. And I, this is going to sound like the most like, knuckle dragger film watcher mouth breather take but i i like adrian peterson's fit in tennessee i mean they're they're really the one team that says to hell with it like even early down passing you can look up all their stats like they run the damn ball and they run the damn ball inside and there's a big difference between running inside and running outside in terms of the hits that those running backs are willing to take and there's a level of physicality that this titans offense relies on to be able to get their passing game open etc and Adrian Peterson is a guy who right now, I think he's like fourth in uh, league history in, in terms of his rushing total. And it seems like he just wants to move up that list. Right. So he's a guy who's made his career as hey, I'm running behind a fullback. I'm running downhill and I'm running between the tackles. That's kind of who the Titans have been. So I, I think him swapping in is kind of as good of a fit as you're going to get in terms of like an late October, early November signing as a running back. That's a good point. Just downhill runner. We know he's going to be physical. Sure, he's not going to be the same Adrian Peterson that we remember, even from a couple of years ago. But uh, for for well, what he, the he Titans does run do, hard as hell. He like, does. Remember yeah, that's what in, I was getting. In Washington at. in the preseason when he was with Washington, he was seeking out contact when he was <laughs> running the ball. Like that's who he is. So like in terms of that physicality, like Tennessee actually is the one team that builds their identity around downhill runs physicality we will make you pay like you pay it in flesh every single down i i think peterson's a great fit in that situation yeah he might he's probably not going to have those 70 yard runs that derrick henry has but he when you talk about the physicality like that is the titans mentality and to go from derrick henry to if you're looking at who's available you probably won't get much better than adrian peterson at this point so i understand why they bring him in and i'm interested to see if it works i, I don't think it's going to 
Um, I think it will go well, honestly, about as well as you could ask for signing an Adrian Peterson at this stage of his career. Yeah, I'm just thinking about his time with the Detroit Lions where it was like, he's still kind of an effective player. Like he's still a guy you could give him the ball 20 times a game. He might get 60 yards, but every now and then he'll, he'll break one off. And so, yeah, I I think it's a good fit. I would still like to see them start slinging it a little bit more. If Julio Jones can ever get on the field, Um, you know, if this hamstring injury ever goes away and he gets healthy, I'd really like to see what a healthy Julio and AJ Brown still look like, but I don't know if that's going to be the case this season. Uh, other news, Saints quarterback Jameis Winston is done for the year. They confirmed on Monday that he did suffer a torn ACL against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then Michael Thomas announced on Twitter this morning that he is done for the season. Thomas had been rehabbing an ankle injury, uh, but said on Twitter that he suffered another setback and he is done before his season even started. New Orleans Saints are in bad shape. They're coached well, so they keep finding ways to win football games, and they just beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They seem to give the Bucs problems every single year, uh, but it's going to be tough, I think, for them to just hang in that division, especially in the tough NFC moving forward with Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill as their quarterback. I thought Jameis was just heating up, man. That sucks that he went down. I thought he was going to be better as the season went on, especially for the Saints. They need help at receiver, and you saw just early on in that Tampa Bay game, he was making throws that receivers had no chance to catch, and he did the same against Seattle. So um, it does suck that he went down, and now what Like, what happens with the Saints? If anything, it just opens up another playoff spot for that six or seven seed. So that's interesting that you bring up the playoff spot. I just looked up uh, you know, their stats on 538. So they're a 5-2 team. They're, they're projected to have a 10-7 and seven record. They're ninth in terms of uh, NFL ranking in terms of making the playoffs. So, like, outside of the top NFC teams that we're talking about, right, Packers, Cowboys, Bucks, Rams, Cardinals, those those teams are virtual locks to make the playoffs at this point. The Saints are the next team up, even with the quarterback adjustment. Like, they're in a very weird spot where if they had a couple more losses, they're probably a team that's, like, waving the white flag, probably would have been involved more in, like, terms of uh, trade. Like, maybe maybe at the deadline they trade – Cameron Jordan or something like that, right? Right now, they're still in a pretty good spot to make the playoffs, and they just have to make it work. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what their quarterback situation looks like, right? Like, is Taysom Hill actually a quarterback? We're about to find out. I don't know the answer to that, but I know we're going to find out because we still have have half a season to play. Uh, It's going to be Trevor Simeon, isn't it? I how how viable how viable is Trevor Simeon, man? Like, we no, I'm not. Simeon I'm not saying play. it should be. Yeah, I'm not saying it should be. I'm just saying, would you? Would you rather continue to use Taysom Hill? But man, sorry, they, in, in that in crunch role. time, in crunch time, it was a Trevor Simeon pass to Kevin White that got the Saints <laughs> out of that game. Like, dude, very I sustainable. Don't, I don't know how viable that is in terms of a long-term goal. Like, maybe you want to start running Taysom Hill and start doing some, like, weird option stuff because I don't know how many of those games Trevor Simeon, you know, has in the chamber. If there was one head coach to to get this offense right, it would probably be Sean Payton. Like, he is a mastermind. He probably should get more credit than he actually does. But you mentioned them being above the, you know, their their record. So that will give them a lot of breathing room in the NFC because still, I don't think there are a lot of good teams in the NFC. And even with their quarterback situation, it wasn't as if Jameis was, you know, pushing the ball down the field consistently or or just this incredibly accurate quarterback. So maybe they dial it back just a little bit, rely on their defense because Marshawn Lattimore is playing really well. I know that he's given up those big touchdowns that we've seen the last couple of games. But when you have a lockdown corner, when you have speed on defense, you are able to get off the field. That's what they have been able to do. And, I don't know, man. They still have Alvin Kamara. Like, they still have guys who can make plays on offense. Um, it's just a matter of staying ahead of the chains. I think that's where Sean Payton comes in. And Trevor Simeon, whoever's at quarterback, Taysom Hill, they're not going to be faced with these third and seven, third and eights. And, and that's probably why, you know, they will have continue to have a little bit of success. Yeah, and I think they kind of lucked out going out and adding Mark Ingram because, you know, they weren't having – Jameis throw the ball a ton it's not like Jameis was out here slinging it 45 times a game or something like that so I think they want to run the ball and they want to play defense and I think Mark Ingram's going to play a big role in that moving forward there was a report 
floating around out there, Philip Rivers, who was coaching high school football, his season just ended. And he said, <laughs> you know, if the Saints called him up, if he got a phone call from Sean Payton, he he might listen to Sean Payton. So uh, I don't know if Phil makes him better, I guess, maybe a, a little bit. I'd kind of rather see Sean Payton just be super creative in what he can do the rest of the season with like a Trevor Simeon, Taysom Hill rotation. But I, I guess Philip Rivers going to the Saints would intrigue me a little bit. I, I don't think there's any way. Pay- Payton's offense is so in-depth in terms of the verbiage. It would be so difficult for a quarterback to be able to come in in November and be able to play meaningful games for him. You know, this is kind of like a multi-year system type of situation. It's not like they're just throwing fastballs out there or anything. You know, Drew Brees talked about, I think it was like two or three years ago, like there's still verbiage in Peyton's playbook that like he was still kind of coming to the understanding of. So like when a guy's been there for like 10, 15 years and he's still like digesting that playbook, I think it's just totally out of line to assume that a guy like Rivers can come in and be able to turn key within a a week or two, you know, because that's what you'd really be talking about in terms of the return on investment. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't think that they can do it. I'd like to see that quarterback rotation but it would be fun though yeah (laughs) i mean let's just see what happens let's just see if we can get let's just see if we can get weird with this thing and still somehow make the playoffs and then we'll have a three-man quarterback rotation in the playoff game that's the kind of thing that i root for uh but thank you guys so much for listening i think we covered all of the breaking news in the nfl today as there has been uh, an absolute boatload but thank you guys for listening to nfl university if you listen to the show please subscribe rate and review uh we at we kindly ask that you leave a five-star review we're in the five-star business over here you can follow justice on twitter at j-u-m-o-s-q you can follow kp at kp underscore show i'm steven serta that's where you can find me we'll talk to you guys next week <laughs>